Welcome to Voices of the Belt and Road podcast, brought to you by the Belt and Road Advisory, your professional advisors on all matters concerning the Belt and Road Initiative. Voices of the Belt and Road is our flagship podcast, and with each episode, we'll hear the personal stories of people who are part of the Belt and Road Initiative. The aim of this podcast is to demystify the initiative by interviewing a broad array of people whose lives are impacted day in and day out by the world's largest cross-border trade initiative and infrastructure build-up. On this podcast, in addition to university researchers, think tank experts, and policymakers, you can also hear from business people, workers, and countless others involved in the Belt and Road. You'll hear people tell their own personal stories in their own languages, because at the end of the day, the Belt and Road Initiative is changing people's lives, and we want you to hear it from them. Please enjoy this week's podcast, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Voices of the Belt and Road podcast. I'm your host, Greg Stetz. Today, we will talk about the outlook of Chinese economy in 2019 and the role that the Belt and Road Initiative will play within that. Our guest today is Professor Zhang Yaguang, Associate Professor and the Vice Dean at the School of Economics at Peking University and the President of the Center for Foreign Economics Research at Peking University. It is a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Greg. Please, tell us a bit about your background and your research. I did my PhD in economics at Peking University in 2008. My field is the history of Chinese economic thought. As the exchange between China and the Western world deepened, so did the exchange of economic thought. Just to give you an example, an ancient Chinese philosopher, Lao Tzu, paid close attention to the ideas of economic liberalism which was later used in France and put forward in the idea of laissez-faire, which had a profound influence in the West. In recent years, I have paid more attention to the economic policies in China, including the monetary and financial policies of ancient China, the social security policies of ancient China, and the ancient Silk Road. I have been researching how this links to the current affairs. So how is the Belt and Road Initiative specifically connected to China's domestic development? Can you quantify for us the impact that BRI has made on Chinese economy so far? Generally speaking, through the Belt and Road Initiative, we mainly mean opening up of Chinese and overseas markets, encouraging Chinese enterprises and commodities to go out, expanding the markets that China can access. This can solve the challenge of insufficient demand of Chinese industry enterprises, and to some extent, solve the problem of China's excess capacity in production. So let's take a look at the figures and we see how the Belt and Road has contributed to China's economy. First of all, the Belt and Road Initiative helps to improve trade relations between China and Belt and Road countries. And the growth rate of trade between China and these countries is higher than China's overall external trade growth rate. To put this all in perspective, According to the statistics of IMF, the total import and export volume along the one belt and one road from 2013 to 2017 is equal to the GDP of France, Britain, and Italy combined in 2017. And looking at the 2017 data, the total import and export of countries along the belt and road reached more than 1.14 trillion USD. This accounted for 26.5% of the total import and export volume of China in that year, an increase of 17.8% over 2016. 
Within that, Chinese imports from BRI countries increased by 26.8%, growing at two times faster rate than Chinese exports to those countries. So in 2017, Chinese imports from BRI countries grew two times faster than exports to these countries. In terms of investment, we have invested more than $80 billion in countries along the One Belt and One Road route and contributed more than $2 billion in tax revenue to host countries. So I think that from this perspective, China has also made great contributions to the export of countries along the Belt and Road. All these data can show that the Belt and Road Initiative has proven to be a new driving force within China's foreign trade and even China's economic growth. We shouldn't also overlook the investment data. In 2017, we set up 3,857 new enterprises in countries along the One Belt and One Road Belt and Road, an increase of 32.8% compared with the previous year. We have also seen an increase in the amount of direct investment to China, which is about $5.6 billion. Interestingly, within that the foreign investment in the high-tech and manufacturing industry exceeded 10%. So all these data indicate that the Belt and Road Initiative provides a lot of new growth points for China's economic growth, and it notably contributed to the economic growth of the countries along Belt and Road. Thank you. That gives us the big picture, but what about more micro-level perspective? What is the impact of the Belt and Road Initiative on companies and businesses in China? Let me give you a very simple example. At School of Economics of Peking University, we have an executive development program. Some of the participating entrepreneurs have been asking me, Professor Zhang, how can our enterprises join the Belt and Road Initiative? And my answer is very simple. As long as you go out, engage in trade, or conduct investments with foreign actors, you have already joined in. Before the Belt and Road Initiative was put forward, many of these enterprises, these individuals, have already done a lot of work with the countries along the Belt and Road. So, our foreign friends should not be too sensitive about this. Trying to read too much into motivations of the Belt and Road Initiative or think that this is a whole new thing. It is not new to the Chinese. Put simply, the Chinese government has done a lot of work in the countries along the Belt and Road, including infrastructure construction, supporting Chinese businessmen, especially ones going to Africa or Southeast Asia. And all these actions were put into a slogan. So is my personal view. To participate, you don't have to be something special. You just carry out the business plans you had before. The difference is that after the Chinese government put forward this initiative, and it may provide you with a better environment and make the cooperation smoother thanks to government's diplomatic efforts. In 2018, some countries have pushed back on the Belt and Road Initiative, citing concerns of excessive debt buildup. As an economist, can you explain to us what are the three key factors that these countries should consider when assessing how much debt is too much? This is a very good question, and I believe it is a topic particularly interesting to many foreign friends. Looking at debt assessment, we generally have several key factors. The first is the performance of the domestic economy. The second is the balance of payments, and the third is the burden of external debt. So first, the domestic economy. 
If it operates well, it is an important guarantee of long-term solvency. The balance of payments is important because foreign investors ultimately want to exchange their earnings into their own currencies. So that if we have a good balance of payments with the host country, we will be able to reduce certain transfer risks. Finally, the domestic debt situation will have a direct bearing on how much of the host country's future economic income will be used to repay the foreign debt. This factor can affect the economic development of a country in the long term. Let's take a look at a case study of Malaysia, often brought up in BRI discussion. According to data of the Chinese Ministry of Commerce, Malaysia's foreign debt in 2015 was 209.8 billion US dollars, so 71% of the country's GDP. By 2017, the amount of its foreign debt was 2,150.5 billion US dollars. It will account for 65.3% of its GDP income that year. If we count the external business, the debt of the whole government would exceed 80% of the country's GDP. There is a common international standard that if the debt rate of a country exceeds 60%, it's a very dangerous signal. Now, many people will connect the level of the debt rate in Malaysia to China's Belt and Road Initiative, especially after in 2018 Malaysia's Prime Minister, Mahathir, called off an over 20 billion US dollar investment signed before. The international community is increasingly concerned about this issue. Let me give you my personal opinion on all of this. First of all, if you look at the debt levels of various countries around the world in recent years, there is a general upward trend. According to the data of the IMF, it is not just Malaysia and not only the countries along the Belt and Road, but many countries experience raising debt regardless of whether they have anything to do with the Belt and Road Initiative. In particular, if we take a look at the average debt of the developed countries as a share of GDP, this ratio is about 105%, and the figure for the middle-income countries is about 50%. If you simply look at this data, it may be said that the more developed a country, the higher the proportion of their foreign debts will be. Then Malaysia seems to be able to be a little higher. Of course, this is a very simple comparison. The second point that I want to make is that we have to make a concrete analysis of the external debt. By that I mean a question. What is your debt used for? If your debt is for infrastructure, then there are a couple points to be made. First of all, itself is a relatively high quality asset. It can help you have a more reliable cash flow in the future, and its security can also be guaranteed. The second point about the debt on infrastructure is that it has a very significant positive value. As far as economics is concerned, although you borrowed a sum of money, you didn't use it on every ordinary person, but invested it to make your country's economy work more smoothly. In the future, that will improve your country's long-term solvency. So, basing on these points, China's activity along the Belt and Road, especially the activity related to the so-called debt trap issue, is concentrated in the area of infrastructure. I think that such debt structure is not a particularly bad result for the host country, even in the long term. It is a practice that will have a positive result for all of us.
Most of Belt and Road projects are financed in US dollars. Is there then a cap on how much China can invest in BRI projects, given the fact that Renminbi is still in the process of internationalizing? I very much agree with you. It is a very interesting question. The Renminbi is still in the process of internationalization, of course. But to answer this question, we must first ask ourselves, why does China still use US dollars to settle its accounts? It is so because the US dollar is a respected world currency and a base of today's global trading system. It is currency used in settling the value of many commodities such as petroleum and iron ore. Another issue is that the current international system, the assets in the US dollar have reached 70%. There is also an important technical reason. The current system used by our global international settlement business is called SWIFT that is, the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. This system is dominated by the United States, and most of the trade settlement is carried out within this system. Therefore, these factors determine that most countries, including China, are still inseparable from the U.S. dollar. It is so also because, as you mentioned, the RMB of China has not yet completed to internationalize, so we are now even more dependent on the US dollar. So will the obstacles of the internationalization of the RMB affect Belt and Road investments? I have no way to give a specific estimation of what the cap you mentioned in the question could be, but there are a few things that I can say with certainty. First, the internationalization of renminbi will not stop and the usage of RMB in trade settlement in various countries will be higher and higher. Second, China's investment in the Belt and Road will continue regardless of whether they will be settled in US dollar or in other third-party currencies in the future. Talking about the future, what are the three most important trends that in your opinion we're going to see in Chinese economy in 2019? And I'm sure that many of our listeners are wondering about that. To tell you the truth, many Chinese ponder on this issue as well. Every year, the central government holds a National Economic Work Conference in December. I highly recommend that foreign friends pay attention to this meeting because it provides a general summary of the economic work of the current year and outlines a plan for the economic work of the following year. During the last meeting, the central government put forward some basic ideas on economic growth in 2019. So let's take a look at three key points. The first is that in 2019, the Chinese economy will shift a gear. The pace of the economic growth is going to decrease. According to official data, the economic growth rate of China's GDP in 2018 was about 6.5%. In 2019, this value can fall to 6.3% or even 6% flat. This slowdown is not surprising, but we should psychologically prepare for the coming changes. Of course, the slowdown doesn't mean that China's economy is going to collapse, but it will prompt many adjustments. That's the second point. The key economic policy that will guide the overall economic readjustment will be a structural reform of China's supply side. The main goal will be to reduce the costs and deleverage. Chinese traditional enterprises may face great restructuring, especially the labor-intensive ones. This is likely to prove challenging for traditional manufacturing industries, but we still have a lot of room for growth for the emerging businesses, such as high-tech enterprises. 
these new technologies are precisely in line with the basic need of China's supply-side reform, which is optimization and cost reduction. The third point is, as we will look at the adjustment of economic policies, the fiscal policy and monetary policy will be relatively loose. I estimate there will be a moderate inflation, but I don't expect any drastic changes, because recently, the central government has already put in more money in the economy. I also want to point out that some people have been optimistic about the recovery of real estate, but I think there are some of the measures in place launched by the central government to counter downward pressure on the economy. There are of course also external factors to consider here, and I'm referring of course to the Sino-American trade war. So now in January 2019, how do you think that the trade war will unfold this year? And what impact is it going to have on the development of the Belt and Road Initiative? I actually have just been to New York a month ago and attended a forum that gathered many Chinese entrepreneurs that are influential in the United States. Speaking plainly, they expressed some anxiety about the future developments. So it's not surprising that this kind of anxiety also exists within China. For example, I personally do not have a very optimistic expectation about the Sino-US trade negotiations because I agree with the concept of the Ducidides trap. Although China and the United States should not oppose each other, the fact remains that China's total economy is indeed growing objectively. The United States was originally a dominant trading order in the global economic order, and this will continue to be a challenge as China grows. The two countries have different views on many issues, which is normal, but problematic when we talk about such big players. So I don't believe that the trade dispute and similar challenges will be possible to settle in a short amount of time. I think that we may experience a more calm period, but this is a long-term issue. Moving on to the second part of the question, how does the relationship between China and the United States affect the Belt and Road Initiative? First of all, it affects the process of internationalization of the renminbi, which we have just talked about. I personally assess that the process of internationalization of the renminbi will encounter more difficulties. Were the U.S. government to support China's effort in this area, it would make the process easier as the U.S. has influence in such structures as IMF or the World Bank. But due to the current situation between China and the United States, I believe that the internationalization of the renminbi will be challenged because in essence, internationalization of the renminbi challenges the position of the U.S. dollar. The second point is that China's trade structure will have a great impact on the relationship because now China and the United States are each other's biggest trading partners. The United States is China's largest import and export trading partner, so any disputes between the two significantly affects China's foreign exports. Well, if our export originally had 100 copies of a good to sell to the United States, now there are only 50 copies to the United States, and the remaining 50 copies are for domestic consumption. To facilitate this greater supply, more goods will be sold to and bought from countries along the Belt and Road. The third point is that the economic factors can lead to a series of complicated moves in international politics. That includes the strategic layout of the United States overseas. It may happen that in the aftermath of trade dispute between China and the United States, 
the U.S. will adjust its focus of overseas work in the international geopolitical aspect. Or geopolitical issues moves may become a mean of enforcing influence in negotiations between China and the United States. I wouldn't rule that out, and it can considerably be affect the originally planned exchange between China and the countries along the Belt and Road. And if the U.S. continues to become less and less welcoming as a destination for Chinese exports and investments, to which destinations do you think that Chinese exporters and investors are going to turn to? This is a very interesting topic. The Central Economic War Conference, which I mentioned before, has already discussed this difficulty. In fact. We do not have specific destinations. Well, because it's hard for any country to take the place of the United States. Therefore, the Central Economic Work Conference in China made a special mention in the work plan for 2019, which is to actively expand the domestic market. So the Chinese people say that the difference between China and other countries is that even if our foreign trade stagnates, even if our foreign investment encounters difficulties, we still have a large domestic market. And within that market, there is still a lot of room to cover. For example, we can still work on bridging the development gap between western and eastern provinces. If we use this potential, we can considerably limit the effects of the Sino-American trade disputes. The fact that the Central Economic Work Conference put forward this point means that the central government also is not very optimistic about the future of U.S.-Sino trade. That wraps it up for today. Professor Zhang, it was my pleasure to discuss with you the outlook of Chinese economy in 2019 and the impact of Sino-American trade disputes on the Belt and Road Initiative. Thank you very much for appearing on our show. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Greg. This week's Voices of the Belt and Road podcast. If you want to learn more about the Belt and Road Initiative, check out our website at beltandroad.ventures. That's Belt and Road, one word, no spaces, and dot ventures. V e n t u r e s. On the website, you can subscribe to our weekly Belt and Road bulletin, and also follow our Belt and Road Advisory social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. That way, you'll always be up to date on what is happening on the Belt and Road. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next week.